So good morning, everybody, once again. And today's talk, we're basically, you know, on our ancestors of new thoughts. We're going to talk about one of my very favorites of them all, which is Emmett Fox. Emmett Fox was given to me uh, at a midnight gathering, we'll call it, in New York City many years ago when I was starting my healing journey. And somebody said to me, Sean, if you're having any problems with this higher power thing, this God thing, read Emmett Fox's Sermon on the Mount. And so I ran out and bought it because there was no ordering on Kindle back then. <laughs> <laughs> it was a lot of years ago, almost 30. And, but I did, and I sat down and I read this thing as fast as I could with my highlighter, busy, busy, busy. And I found out I was powerful that day. I found out I was very, very powerful from reading this book. I trusted this minister. I had never heard of unity yet, uh, but I read this and it was simple and it was straightforward and it set me free. And I found out that I could move mountains with a thought. I could change everything, the invisible and the visible with my thinking. You know, in my sphere, at least. And so I, I kept reading and kept underlining. I read it again. And, and I witnessed. I witnessed how many things shifted as a result of my thinking. It wasn't until I came into Unity that I found out what an influence Mr. Fox was on both uh, the Unity Movement and uh, the 12-Step Fellowship. Those of you who are familiar with that. And... And that he had had a church in New York City at one time when he came, came here from England. I think he's originally from Amsterdam, but he lived in England. He was a mechanic, an engineer mechanic. And he came here, and uh, I think it was Georgiana Tree West had him as a guest speaker in her, in her church, her Unity Church in, in New York. And then he was invited elsewhere, and then he took over, and I can't remember the minister's name, he took over from that ministry. And that had been a very large New Thought ministry, not a unity. And it had greatly diminished. And then he took it up and up and up to the point where he, he played, he did the Hippodrome, became a, a regular space. So he had thousands, he had thousands a week. To, and his last church in, in New York was Carnegie Hall. He filled Carnegie Hall to overflowing every week, every week, every week for months and years to the point where they, they would put speakers up in the basement. They, they he had to put chairs in other places. New Thought was really something else uh, in the world in New York City because it promised something. Eric Butterworth took over Carnegie Hall when Emma Fox left. And that unity moved into Carnegie Hall until Carnegie Hall renovated and then the Butterworth ministry went on over to Avery Fisher Hall. Now I believe it's David Geffen Hall in, in New York City, up there at Lincoln Center. But I love this. Mr. Fox kept it very simple. And that's the way I need my, my spirituality to be. I need things simple. I, I do not come at things from the intellect. That there's, I, I haven't found a, a successful healing from the intellect. It all comes from mind. But it's that it's the heart mind connection it's that spirit mind connection that gives the and it's the innocence of a child that brings about a healing 
be it a healing of spirit, be it a healing of the body, be it a healing of relationship, be it a healing of finances, be it a healing of taxes, be it a healing of fear. And I have not mastered all of it yet because I have embraced several stories in my life, stories that just aren't true. And the thing is, when I'm in the thick of it, when I am in the very thick of the fear place, I do remember, I do remember the truth. I just wish I would remember that beginning to the fear place to continuously over and over again remind myself of what is right, what is true. I, I, I put the quote in here that I like today, and it's why we gave it this talk. It said, if you could only love enough, you could be the most powerful person in the world. How about that? I don't think we're competing to be the most powerful person in the world. Wouldn't it be nice if we were all the most powerful person in the world since we are all one? But if you could only love enough, and I don't know, well, I guess you could say there's an opposite to love, but is there really an opposite to love since anything that would be the opposite of love wouldn't be true? Love is the truth. And anything that would seem to be the opposite would be temporary. It would not be true. It would not be truth. It could be an experience. I have lots of experiences. Anybody? Lots. And all based on my thinking. I've caught myself in that so much when I think about the driver driving down the road next to me. I experience that driver in whatever way I choose to, consciously or unconsciously. When I uh, tell myself that I am offended by a friend, by a stranger, whatever, it's because I tell myself to be offended. I tell myself that should not have happened. How dare they? How dare they impose upon my day? And what happens? I have disturbed the peace. Not them, me. Because I told myself to. Now, there's no cause for guilt in any of this. No cause for guilt at all. Guilt is another way to disturb the peace. Guilt is another way to pretend love is absent. But I do much better when I keep reminding myself, no, love is present. I'm just not aware of how right now. And then Spirit, tell me how. Tell me how love is present here right now because I'm telling myself something else. Now, if, 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 if my knee hurts, I'm telling myself love isn't present. If, I, if there aren't as many zeros in our bank accounts, uh, I tell myself love doesn't seem to be present here. It, you know, with this or with that, uh, love doesn't seem to be present. But it's not possible for love to not be present. It's not possible. When I, I've told this story before, but we have, I have a new audience. Uh, <laughs> a new audience. <laughs> new audience. When I wanted to put down cigarettes, and I really loved my cigarettes. I was a, a boy when I started using them. Uh, for entertainment purposes, <laughs> all day long. You know, I was, in si I, I was in sixth grade. I taught myself how to smoke. Everybody else did. <laughs> Maybe they weren't in sixth grade, but I was precocious. I was the youngest one in the family. I needed to catch up. <laughs> and I loved it. Oh, it was fun. All day long, for years. For years. I remember ninth grade, I think ninth grade. I, wor I worked in a hospital kitchen. And every two weeks I got paid, and I would go buy three cartons of cigarettes to get me through the next two weeks. I was very sophisticated. 
I thought I was. I thought you imagine I had a quite the baby face back then, and I had hair. Can you imagine this little boy out there smoking cigarettes? Uh, and then in uh, what was it, early nineties? Well, I put down alcohol because uh, that was it. Just was in the way of my spiritual life, and I, I didn't have one, but I wanted to find one. <laughs> and, and I knew alcohol wasn't going to give me one. It gave me spirits, did not give me spirit life. And I, 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 want to, I want to give myself a chance to love myself. So I put down the alcohol, and then about a year, and I started praying in earnest. I, I developed a real relationship with what I called God. And a lot of it came through this and the turn. I just wrote a newsletter for this for a couple of weeks right now called Good Orderly Direction. Somebody else gave me that. One foot in front of the other, one foot in front of the other. And, and life unfolds. So with this, I realized, oh, I want to go to the next level of prayer, and I can't because there's a huge, enormous smoke screen in front of me. <laughs> you know, my walls are covered in nicotine. My life was covered in nicotine, and I was distracting myself through three and a half packs of cigarettes a day, smoking. And so I prayed. I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed, you know, and I quit for a few days, a few weeks, a couple of times. And then I was in all of all places, a hotel room in Atlantic City. And I was on my knees praying over my life and the cigarettes and things. So I think it was October. And suddenly the thought occurred to me, wait a minute, as God is for me, nothing is against me. Now, if you watch television ads, if you listen to people, they all tell you cigarettes hate you. They want to kill you. You know, if, if you're in a 12-step room, alcohol hates you. It wants to, this disease wants you dead. So, well, that doesn't make any sense with this God is for me. Nothing could be against me. It's no logic in that. And I preferred as God is for me. Nothing is against me. Nothing, no one. And so I, I really looked at it. I said, so cigarettes aren't against me. Well, how could they be for me? And then I thought about it and I realized, oh, for many years, I've had no other tools to get through the day. Cigarettes were my friend. They got me through the day until I could get here. Alcohol had done the same thing. It, get, it was an illusion of friendship, it was, but it served me until I could get here. And now I no longer needed those things. Now I hadn't needed the alcohol in a year and a half or so. And, I, and suddenly the cigarettes, I realized, Oh, I'm headed to a new place where I'm not going to need the cigarettes anymore. So I had a chat with the cigarettes there on my knees praying. And I, I, you know, Unity, we don't tell people to get down on their knees and pray. I didn't become more religious or even more spiritual as a result of that, but I came focused. I became focused on my knees. I became very, very focused on why I was there to relate, to build a relationship with a power, a power greater than myself that I could, I could get a grasp on. And so I uh, said to cigarettes, okay, it's October. On New Year's Day, we're going to put you down. Because I don't need you anymore. Until New Year's Day, we can have a party. We can smoke our heads off. But on New Year's Day, I'm going to release you. But I want to thank you for being a friend. I, and I, I thanked alcohol that day and all those years. Because I realized a drink never poured itself off a shelf down my throat. Never once. And the cigarette never put itself into my mouth and lit it. Never. I chose everyone. 
consciously or unconsciously, habitually, I chose every one. And now I was choosing something that made me feel even better than those things. You know, I was never going to get a cigarette hack or coughing hack uh, through prayer. <clears throat> and so I, uh, I smoked. And then New Year's Day, New Year's Eve, I, d I did volunteer work. I was on my giver. And I, uh, <laughs> and I went out to breakfast the next morning with a friend. We stayed up all night, this volunteer thing. And at 8 o'clock in the morning, I walked across the street. My apartment building was across the street from the diner. And I threw my cigarettes in the trash. And I went upstairs. And I went to bed. And I slept till January 2nd. Wow. I did. And I got up that morning and I thought, I have got 24 hours in without a cigarette. I better not smoke today. I got a gift from God. I might never get that gift again. Don't smoke today. I was so loved. And that's how I pictured it. I was so loved I could sleep for a whole day. I had a whole day, day one, without a cigarette. And then I got day two. On day three, and and I played a hypnosis tape. I still do the breathing exercises from that. All this stuff, and what I did, I played that every night for ninety days. I went to Nicotine Anonymous, and what one one meeting a week, Sunday nights. And what I looked at is I went and hooked up with these people, and what we did is we didn't smoke together for an hour every week. That's how I saw it. That was our activity: is to not smoke together. And I'm still in touch with some of those people. I haven't been to a meeting of one of those in years. But I, uh, life was different because I, I ever, all this stuff, it was an act of self-love. And Mr. Fox told me I had the power to do that. What was he, his, his thoughts were, change your thoughts and keep them changed. Change your thoughts and then keep them changed. Because it makes a difference. You know, you will have new thoughts. But you don't have to go to the old thoughts. The old thoughts served you when you were younger. When you were that person. But you're not that person anymore. You're a person with a new thought. Therefore, you are a new thing. You are a new wineskin, as it were. <laughs> uh, and so to think of all that, I want to read this from the Holy Spirit's interpretation of the New Testament. And it comes from Romans chapter 4. And it says here, Holy Son of God, there is one thing that you must know. You are loved. You are deeply and truly and eternally treasured and loved. This love that is extended you from God and through God is not extended you for what you do. Therefore, this love cannot be stopped because of what you do not. God's love extended to you is eternal because God's love extended through you is extended for what you are. There are no criteria on which this love is dependent. You are and so you are loved. And this love is eternal. To that, there is one thing you must know: you are loved. How many times a day do we forget that? Every time something comes up, and we're afraid. Every time we don't feel well. Every time we go to a restaurant and they're out of my favorite food. <laughs> 
every time somebody looks at us sideways. So often through the day, if we can't sleep, we think, I'm not loved. Let's just accept it now, today. I am loved. And I cannot not be loved. I am loved. And I cannot not be loved. I don't have to have an explanation of how I am loved. I don't need words to satisfy my intellect for how I am loved. The reason I was able to get well spiritually, physically, mentally, is because I began to accept things, these spiritual things, at face value. As a little child, I am loved. And I can't not be loved. Fantastic. So I no longer have to worry about whether or not I'm loved or lovable. And when he reminds us in this book here, see, these are book, this is the book of promises as far as I'm concerned. You are loved, not because of what you do, and you can't not be loved for what you don't do. I can be flawed and still be loved. I can forget and know I am loved. I can uh, say it wrongly and still I am loved. I can miscommunicate and still know that I am loved. So you see, when Kenneth's saying, if we only have love, well, we do. We only have love. This is the good news today. This is our prosperity. This is our abundance. And this is our Christ awakening. I am loved with an eternal love that can never be ungiven, that can never not be true, and that will always be true, or that is always true, is always present. And I'm allowed to argue the point, but thank goodness I'll be wrong. Let's all celebrate. Every time we tell ourselves that we are somehow not loved, we are wrong. Oh, thank goodness I'm wrong today. Thank you, God. I am wrong because I am loved. Is that okay with you guys? Well, good. Then let's go on about our day. Thank you. Okay. <laughs>